Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. joining us for another episode of the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Bernie Wagenblast. For our first episode of 2024, we're joined by FHWA Administrator Shalyn Batt. Administrator Batt has led the Federal Highway Administration since January of last year, and in that role, he has responsibility for administering more than $350 billion as part of the bipartisan infrastructure law and its formula and competitive grants. On this month's program, we'll talk about a variety of topics, including the IIJA and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, the new MUTCD, and more. Shalyn, welcome to ITE Talks Transportation. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me. Let's start off with, we're here in 2024. We're entering year three of the IIJA and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law. I'm curious, are you pleased with the response that you've been seeing to some of the new grant programs that have been introduced? And are there any particular success stories that you'd like to highlight when it comes to that? Yeah, you know, I think that when I think about the bipartisan infrastructure law, I just think of it as a truly transformational piece of legislation. And I say that as somebody who has worked in transportation for most of my career. And throughout all of that time, you know, it's always been uh, a conversation around um, if only we had more funding, if only we had, you know, the resources to build these projects, we would be able to do all of these great things as a nation. And so I think the thing that I'm most uh, struck by at this point are all of the f- transformational projects that are underway or getting underway across the nation three years in. And so You know, the one I always like to talk about, because it was one that when I was a deputy executive director with the Kentucky Transportation Cabinet, this was a pie in the sky project. (laughs) At the time, we were worried about the Ohio River bridges, but the Brent Spence Bridge for decades has Mm -hmm. been this uh, bridge that was structurally getting towards the end of its life. It was functionally no longer able to carry, was never designed to carry, I think, the 160,000 vehicles a day. It carries 3% of the nation's GDP every year. And it was not anywhere from being going to be replaced. In fact, I remember being an Obama appointee and President Obama going and giving a speech at the Brent Spence Bridge because, you know, Speaker Boehner was from Ohio and we thought we had all the great ingredients there. Well, under President Biden's leadership um, and with the bipartisan support of the legislature, that project is now you know, moving forward and is funded. But it's not just the $1.6 billion for a $3.5 billion bridge in Kentucky. There's projects going across the nation, whether it's for sidewalks or reconnecting communities or uh, finally dealing with climate change issues. So uh, I would say that as we sit here three years into the bipartisan infrastructure law, it is uh, we have a lot that we can be proud of and a lot of important work still to be done. Some of the ITE members come from smaller agencies, and and those agencies may not have a lot of the same resources, obviously, that larger agencies do when it comes to grant requests or providing sufficient matching funds, but they want to make a difference in their jurisdictions. 
What can you say to those folks? Yeah, you know, I think that's one of the things that we're most aware of at DOT. You know, we have a Secretary Buttigieg who used to be a, a mayor uh, of a city. And uh, I think he's particularly aware of how challenging it can be for small and medium-sized communities to, you know, reach out and be able to get a piece of, you know, $1.2 trillion that is out there. And now of that $1.2 trillion, you know, $400 billion is already out the door. There's more discretionary grants that are available. So what, we, what, we, what we've been trying to do for those communities is focus a lot of our technical assistance. So we have a DOT navigator, uh, which is a grant application resources website. You know, we have a DOT discretionary grants dashboard and a bipartisan infrastructure law website. So there's lots of online um, resources that are out there for communities to be able to, as at least as a gateway to getting access to all of these funds. Um, and then also remembering that FHWA also has a resource center that provides technical assistance and technology deployment support to federal, state, local, and tribal partners. You know, we have our LTAP and TTAP, tribal technical assistance programs, local technical assistance programs. And so, you know, we have a division office in every state. And so when people go online, go to the navigator uh, and think, oh, maybe there's some resources here that I'd like to get some help with, we actually have a division office in that state uh, that can allow us or allow them to reach directly out to us. Obviously, I don't have to remind you or probably most of our listeners that one of the big challenges that we face as a nation is the loss of life on our roadways. The National Roadway Safety Strategy has received some positive feedback from the industry, but we know that the proof is kind of in the pudding in terms of sustaining the energy and the focus toward solving this crisis. What kind of plans or ideas do you have to enable them to maintain that engagement and that commitment from all these different organizations who signed on as early movers of the NRSS? Yeah, I think that that is the uh, the vexing part of fatalities on our roadways because the numbers are just so large. It's hard for people to keep that level of loss of life, both in context and also uh, with the sense of can anything be done with it, right? So, you know, earlier we were talking about the success of the bipartisan infrastructure law. We've got 40,000 projects going across the United States right now. That's almost too big a number to comprehend. And the same with the almost 43,000 people who lost their lives on American roadways in 2022. You know, it's such a big number. So how do you like break that down and say, well, what can we do about it? And I think that's what's been great about the NRSS. That's what we really appreciate for those organizations who have signed on uh, to say, hey, yeah, we actually feel like we can do something here. You know, as somebody who's run two state DOTs, I always felt personally responsible for all the fatalities that were occurring on the roadways in Delaware or in Colorado. And now as the Federal Highway Administrator, every time I see one of those notifications come through, I, I feel a sense of personal responsibility. So I think we want to be creative, vigilant, and engaging um, and help communities of all sizes as they're seeking to address safety issues. Uh, and, you know, there are some, you know, success stories out there. You know, Hoboken in New Jersey, seen a lot of years without a, a pedestrian fatality. Uh, I think Evanston, Illinois, one of the suburbs of Chicago, has also seen a market decrease. And it's because of the investments that they're making. 
So they're taking the safe system approach. They're saying we're going to have safer speeds. They're actually putting in protected bike lanes, more sidewalks. Uh, and I think the proof is in the pudding that when you invest in things that make people feel safer when they're cycling and walking, they're going to do more of it and fatalities come down. And so, you know, whether it's Safe Streets for All, uh, which is a discretionary grant program uh, to help small communities address roadway safety through comprehensive approaches, you know, or whether it's working with your state DOT and, and finding resources through their formula programs, we think that there are all sorts of both discretionary and formula dollars that are out there. You know, just another example, we released about $110 million for wildlife crossings to help mitigate crashes uh, with wildlife. And that is happening all across the United States, you know, about 200 fatalities a year, 26,000 injuries. And so again, just another uh, example of, you know, the bipartisan infrastructure law, not only saying, hey, solve this challenge, but also saying, you know, here are the resources to help make it happen. You had the opportunity this summer to address the ITE annual meeting in Portland, Oregon. And you got a lot of questions about the MUTCD at that point. It had not yet been released. So you weren't really at a point where you could make that many comments about what was going to be in it. But now it is publicly available. What kind of feedback have you been receiving and what kind of plans do you have to start planning for the future of the MUTCD? Yeah, you know, I would say that, well, we got 100,000 comments when we were going through the public process to update it. And so I would say to the people who told us to stand pat and do very little, there is probably some disappointment. And to the people who told us to throw it out and go really far out there and stretch the boundaries of what might be possible, I think there's general disappointment. And from, I think, the vast majority of people who are practitioners who are saying, yes, this is a valuable document that helps us as we ensure consistency and safety across the United States. I think there is a sense of the porridge is not too hot. It's not too cold. Uh, I'm not going to say it's just right, but it's pretty good. And so, you know, whether it's doubling the size of the, of the bike pad uh, section, you know, whether it's giving clear direction on, to cities who want to say transform part of their streetscape, you know, whether it's providing guidance on uh, street art and, and helping people navigate some of those more fraught areas these days. I, I think we've really done a good job of updating a document. Uh, and I want to give credit to the team uh, at Federal Highways that did that, but both update a document that had not been updated since 2009. And a lot's changed in the intervening, you know, 14 or 15 years but also put us on a path because of uh, the bipartisan infrastructure law, we're going to be doing it every couple of years now. And so we've already started again. And, you know, we get another 100,000 comments, but it's going to be an iterative process that reflects both our focus on safety and the changes that technology are bringing to transportation on a pretty regular basis. In just a moment, we'll hear more from FHWA Administrator Shailen Batt on the role technology can play in improving safety, as well as his thoughts on what young transportation professionals can do to develop their leadership skills and prepare for the future. Do you want to reach more than 17,000 transportation professionals? Podcasts like this one are a great way to reach a dedicated audience of listeners. Sponsoring an ITE Talks Transportation podcast is a cost-effective way to gain exposure and build brand awareness. 
ITE offers podcasts on key issues like safety, connected and automated vehicles, and transportation management systems and operations, ensuring your message is heard by the right people. For more information, contact Darlene King at dking at thewymancompany.com. That's dking at thewymancompany.com. ITE has been an active participant in USDOT's Interoperable Connectivity, or V2X, the planning efforts behind that. When you spoke at the most recent V2X Summit, you were pretty passionate about the role technology can play in improving safety. Now, in addition to V2X, what other ways can technology play a role, especially with agencies that might be small in resources, but again, large in geographic coverage? I'm just a firm believer, and always have been, that technology can be harnessed to get us better outcomes from safety perspective, from congestion perspective, from a emissions perspective and reducing GHG emissions, even delivering projects. And I think that one of the underpinnings of technology that all communities should be trying to avail themselves of is just around data, right? And where you are placing projects, you know, what are the, is there crash data that's available? Is there bike ped data that is available? For a long time in transportation, we just sort of like came up with a thought of why a project might be good to build, but we didn't necessarily have the data behind it. So I would say, first and foremost, on the technology side, you know, communities should be availing themselves of data that is out there to make help make data-driven decisions. You know, whether it's V2X deployments that, you know, we, we have a program out there, a discretionary grant program, whether it's the advanced digital construction, uh, where we're putting money out there to help uh, states and other communities you know, deploy digital construction tools because it's the 21st century and we should be building projects uh, like we're in the 21st century, whether it's the intersection safety challenge that DOT uh, has put out to help bring safety to intersections. I think we're looking to harness technology at all levels to help reduce crashes and uh, improve safety. While technology obviously is something that can be harnessed and, and used to improve safety, A lot of what we've been talking about today involves the transportation workforce. You've been head of Delaware DOT, Colorado DOT, in addition to other roles that you've had, and obviously your role is administrator of the Federal Highway Administration. What actions and steps do you believe the younger generation of transportation professionals need to take to develop their leadership skills and be ready to step into those leadership roles in the future? I've been a student of leadership my entire career, and I've had some wonderful leaders who protected me, guided me, taught me, uh, and helped me become and actually achieve the leadership roles that I've been able to uh, ascend to. And, you know, I always start with the idea that um, you don't need a title to be a leader. And I always love the story of President Kennedy visiting, you know, one of the space program facilities and going up to everybody and asking them, you know, what do you do here? And Somebody's like, well, I'm a telemetry expert, uh, you know, or I'm a, you know, rocket expert. You know, he met a janitor and he said, what do you do here? And the janitor was like, well, I'm in sanitation, but I'm helping to put a man on the moon. That to me, you know, it doesn't matter what your role uh, is in an organization. You are a critical component and you can be a leader no matter what title is appended after your name. And so to young professionals, Uh, who are out there, I would say, whether it's President Kennedy saying, we're going to put a man on the moon by the end of this decade, or President Biden talking about how 
we're going to create good paying jobs for everyone in America and making sure that we're building things here in America. Again, you can align within your organization where the senior leadership is and start fighting and 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 building and being a part of that and really buying in. You know, I always tell people that people always think it's it's not what you know, it's who you know. I've always changed that to say it's who you know and what they say about you. Mm-hmm. And in order for people to say good things about you, uh, you have to solve problems for people. And so figure out what the problem is at your workplace or an opportunity, you know, for there to be growth uh, and then solve that problem or fill that void. And you do that a few times and people will notice you and say, huh, you know, I had that challenge that one time and that person was able to solve that challenge. And then the next time a problem comes up, look, you know, they were able to solve that problem the last time. And that's how you end up creating a reputation for yourself as somebody who gets stuff done. And then when a leadership role opens up, they're like, oh, we've got to give it to this person because they're just uh, uh, somebody who solves uh, a lot of challenges. We've been talking on this edition of ITE Talks Transportation with Shalyn Beth, the Administrator of the Federal Highway Administration. Shalyn, thank you so much for being my guest here on ITE Talks Transportation. Thanks so much, and uh, thank you to your uh, organization for hosting me.